This is Larry Fessenden from Glass Eye Picks, and you're listening to Without Your Head. to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal. And that would make me terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. And we're joined by writer and director Brian Levin. Hello, hello. Hello. And Alex Bro. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. How you of doing Union? tonight? Very good. And they're in U- of Union Bridge, which uh, comes out May 19th from Breaking Glass Pictures. On all the video on demand digital platforms. So it's very cool to have you both here. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yes. So for people who don't know yet, could uh, either of you explain what uh, what the movie's about, Union Bridge? Um, well, I guess I'll just hop on this, Alex. Uh, it, the yeah. Union Bridge is basically, um, I guess the best way to classify it is it's kind of a art house thriller somewhere in between. Um, It's basically about a guy who comes back to his hometown and when he arrives, he becomes entangled with some of the local people that he used to know. And as it turns out, um, there's a secret buried in the town or possibly buried in the town that uh, may affect him and his legacy. Mm-hmm. How did you get involved, Alex? Um, uh, I through kind of classic, classic route of uh, just going through casting notice, got it from my agents, and uh, went in. Uh, and in the room, Brian and uh, Scott Friend, who plays the lead character, Will Shipe, was there. So 
um, they were able to kind of give me feedback in the room and kind of have that first audition also be kind of a callback where Brian and I could kind of uh, get a sense for each other. Mm-hmm. What, what was it about Alex Brian that you thought uh, made him right for the role? Well, I mean, um, I think, first of all, I think just when he walked in and just started right away, it became clear that, you know, for this role, he was the type of person that it needed. You know, it needed someone physical. It also needed someone who could play an explosive moment as well as a moment that was more reserved. And, you know, within the first 20 seconds of him auditioning, all of those boxes were checked. So right away he was, you know, he was the guy. And, uh, you know, I think um, all those instincts, you know, sometimes they say in the first few seconds you see someone, you can kind of gauge something correctly. And as it turned out, you know, when we really did get into the movie, all those things really proved out to be true that he did within the first 10 or 15 seconds, really. (laughs) Yeah. Alex has a lot of presence on on screen. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Depraved that he was in. Uh, I get to see it last year at the. Uh, it's a very long term title. Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival, but I think it you know it's out there now for other people. But uh, I've been a fan oh, of his awesome. since then. Yeah. So oh, how, you mentioned you're welcome. You mentioned uh, Scott, who plays uh, the main character. Um, did you know? Did you know either of you know him prior to the movie? Uh, I, Alex, did you know Scott or did, or not? No, I didn't. I didn't. So the way that I met Scott was kind of funny, and you know, I guess anyone who's involved in making movies knows that there's all sorts of strange occurrences that allow films to get made, and one of them was um, my brother had a candy shop in Brooklyn called handsome bands candy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it was a place that they had kind of, it was like a throwback kind of almost carnivalesque candy shop. And Scott was a regular customer there. And, um, my brother said, you know, you gotta meet this guy. He's involved in kind of the, the indie, uh, film scene in New York. Um, next time you come to town, you guys got to hang out. And so I met with Scott and Scott had not, you know, been a lead in, in a movie at that point. Um, but you know, he was, a, he was a smart guy, easy to get along with. And I said, you know, send me some of your stuff. Um, cause we're casting this, we're going to start casting this movie. And, uh, there was a number of different things that occurred, but eventually I just came to the realization that Scott was the guy that should play the lead. And, uh, and then off we went really. Mm-hmm. And who who wouldn't want to buy candy at Handsome Dan's? I mean, the the name just sells <laughs> sells me on it. Exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. Get <laughs> exactly. Yep. It promotes itself. Yep. Exactly. Now, so Alex, when you was that the first time meeting Scott when you walked in for the audition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, anytime you walk into an audition and like the lead actor attached is there with the director, you kind of know you need to bring your A game because. Uh, Rarely do you get to uh, meet creative on that level so early in the process. So um, I'd recently kind of come from Depraved, which also was a film where, um, you know, it's definitely steeped in uh, kind of mood and environment and maybe less dialogue heavy. And so I kind of, from the 
the text of the script. It was, you know, maybe not a lot of dialogue, but there certainly was plenty of um, juicy description to kind of get me through the door and confident for the first audition. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, when you meet like an actor for the first time that you're going to have scenes with, um, can you tell right away if you have chemistry with them and, or, and is that something you could, you could work on or you either do or you don't? Um, I've certainly been in like chemistry reads with, with actors. And the, the biggest thing I look for is for myself, I want to be as familiar as possible with all the materials so I can actually read and react and listen to the other character and actually, you know, like basically bounce off vibe with them. And that was something that, uh, you know, Scott had an affiliation with the project, I think, you know, for quite some time prior to the first casting session session. So he was actually, um, a, a very like open scene partner. Sometimes you get two actors who are basically just waiting for their turn to talk instead of actually listening like a conversation. So, uh, I was encouraged from that, from the initial audition, certainly. Yeah. That's interesting. You mentioned it. Cause I was on a uh, film set for the first time in December. And that was something, uh, that I noticed where you want people almost kind of overlap when they're talking, as opposed to, like you said, you're waiting. This guy says, or, cause that's very unnatural. If in a normal right. conversation, people don't just stop and, and wait and then, then start again. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think it's, it's something yeah. people think about. Go on, sir. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's just one of those things that, you know, like, oh, you know, like, I just read this review of, like, Woody, Al- Woody Allen's autobiography that just came out. He talked about how he loathed rehearsal. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do think, like, some rehearsal can be very helpful for actors just to get just to get the nerves out, just to get a few mess ups, a few cutoffs, interruptions out of the way. So once you get in front of the camera, you can hopefully get it in kind of a spontaneous um, way, you know, in the first three or four takes. And then I was certainly, what I appreciate about Brian's direction is that he uh, didn't kind of micromanage the actors. He let us take some different choices back to back to back. And we usually kind of kept the day moving well by doing, you know, between three to five takes. Mm-hmm. No, uh, Brian, this is your uh, directorial debut for a feature. Had you done shorts or anything before that? I know you've like worked on movies, but I don't know if you've done any directing before. So yeah, most of my in the past, most of what I'd done was writing and producing. Um, I had done a little bit of shorts here and there, um, but I mean, I've been around you know film and television sets now for. I don't know, 15 years or whatever. So, I mean, I just, you know, it was not like a huge leap for me to be the one directing. That being said, directing is its own beast. And, uh, you know, there was a hell of a lot I learned uh, directing the feature um, that, you know, you're just not aware of when you're in a producing capacity because your eye is on a little bit of a different, situation um so yeah no but it was i mean it was really uh it was an exciting experience yeah why was it why union bridge your first movie like was it a story you had thought about for a long time well i had worked in comedy for a while and um but i'm i have like kind of a wide interest in movies i like all sorts of different movies 
And, um, and this was an idea where I wanted to do something that was a little bit more uh, kind of cinematic and just kind of when I was ready to do that, um, I had kind of, for me, for a lot of, it all just starts with writing for me because kind of that's really where my foundation is. And, um, I happened to hear kind of an interesting story. A friend of mine told me about, um, he had moved to a new town and he was broke and he had been out in the woods at night looking for a treasure that was rumored to be in the woods. This was a phone call that I got one night. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I thought, oh, that is, that's pretty interesting. I want to hear more, you know? Uh, and then that kind of got me thinking, you know, what, um, what the psychology of someone who's, who's looking for a treasure must be like. And that was the beginning of the character that Alex played. Um, and, and that was basically internally, you know, a lot of it is what's going on with that guy. Is he, is he delusional? Does he know something? Does, you know, um, is he, what's his emotional state? And, um, and that's kind of where it started. And then once I had that, I just thought, well, that's just a really fun idea to shoot. And there's a way that I can make that, I think, cinematic. No, uh, Union Bridge is a real place in Maryland. Had you been there before? Yeah, Union Bridge is like about twenty minutes from twenty twenty. Yeah, about twenty minutes from where I grew up, and it's um it's pretty close to the Mason Dixon line. Um, you know, definitely a lot of like Civil War history there. And the way I found it was actually, I don't know, it was ten or fifteen years ago. Um, I was just driving around the county, kind of looking just looking to, I guess, be inspired really. And I came across this town that first of all has a huge uh, factory in the middle of it. That's just ominous and overlooks the entire town and overlooks the cemetery. And, you know, is just really kind of foreboding and, and strange. And then the town itself really looked like almost like a time capsule, like it hadn't changed since 1950 or something. And so that, Union Bridge as a place always kind of stuck in my mind. And then when I had this story of this guy looking for a treasure, um, I thought, oh, man, we, I got to shoot this in Union Bridge because that's the atmosphere of the situation. Mm-hmm. Now, are you both uh, right now, like currently in the New York area? Alex, you are, right? I'm in, yeah, yeah. I'm in New York City right now. I'm in Manhattan, yeah. Uh, what's it like right now? I'm sure it's not the best place to be currently. Yeah, I certainly get uh, text messages or emails from family members like every couple of days, like ordering me to like get a get a car and drive down to D.C. or get a flight out or you know whatever. I think obviously on the news, uh, it paints a pretty dystopian, dire you know situation. But honestly, it's. Um, it's eerie just that it's so deserted and it's very, very quiet. And the, you know, the quietude is punctuated by sirens, um, you know, multiple times a day, which, you know, are, are most likely ambulances. So it's definitely, um, as this quarantine is protracted, it, it you can definitely feel the stress levels a little bit rising for the people that have stayed. Yeah. I'm in, Which I'm in I know, Baltimore. you know, the, <laughs> okay. 
Well, how's how's, how's it like in Baltimore now? <laughs> uh, Baltimore is, you know, there's definitely it's it's obviously it's not as uh, frightening of a situation as Manhattan, where in, in New York, where I had a lot of friends and family up there, and some of them have left and some of them stayed. Um, but you know, it's obviously still. I think <laughs> this is a once in a hundred year. Uh, Occurrence, mm-hmm. I think it's unsettling for everybody everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because of that, I know you, you guys were going to have a you know theatrical run, and that's not happening. But um, how, how does this affect uh, independent filmmaking? Alex, did you have some thoughts on that? I mean, you and I were talking a little bit about production and stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it just uh, in terms of theatrical release, I think it makes it harder because mm-hmm. obviously brick and mortar theaters are going to be closed for the foreseeable future. And not to mention that, but AMC, uh, you know, Cineplexes are you know dealing with possible bankruptcy. Um, it also pushes out slots once these theaters actually open back up because so many tentpole franchises have been pushed and they're going to start kind of encroaching other planned large releases. You know what I mean? So if an AMC, you know, they have 13 screens and normally they maybe save three or four screens for smaller films. Um, You know, I would imagine some of those spots are going to be taken up by, you know, showing these bigger tentpole, you know, enterprises. It's going to be such a glut of those coming, you're right. Yeah. And then it's for like, you know, for what Union Bridge is, which is, uh, you know, uh, budgeting a film, um, it, it just it makes it harder to fundraise because obviously people's wealth that might be tied up in uh, you know liquid assets or the stock market, you know they just lost a lot of money uh, from the stock market um, and like the economy and everything. So I just I think it makes it more difficult um, and not you know not not to be doom and gloom, but. Uh, I just I feel for all the filmmakers that had, uh, including Brian, all the filmmakers that had stuff coming out in the past two months, looking forward to the next six months where you're losing festival space and, and theaters, of course. So it's uh, it's not talked about as much as restaurants, but, you know, Hollywood is certainly impacted by this profoundly. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And one, and and one go, thing is, go on, Brian. Yeah, and I think all those things that Alex is saying are, are right. And one thing just on the other side of it is that I was driving to pick up something from a friend and I was driving down these little neighborhoods yesterday and it just really hit me the reality of it. Everybody is at home. And because of that, um, I, there has to be an increase in viewership for any movies that are out now or probably coming out in the next three months or so. Um, so, in that sense, some of the films that might not have been seen and even some of the smaller films um, may get a little bit more eyes on them just because of the volume of people who are, who really are, are at home just consuming content. So, I mean, big picture, obviously, you know, it's really going to be very difficult over the next six months, nine months, probably to raise money and get into production and do the things that are already very difficult. Um, you know, but hopefully there's some sort of silver lining to the situation where, um, you know, people get to watch some stuff that maybe they wouldn't have normally. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah, video on demand. I mean, it's not growing anyway. But like you said, there's people home now, and and what do you have to do? Watch some uh, watch some stuff. Uh, with the when theaters open up, it's weird because part of me thinks some people will. It's two things. Like they'll either be people will be scared for a while to go to the theater, but also think without going to the movies for so long, people really want to go are really going to want to go to the movies. So I'm not really sure which way that'll that'll end up going once yeah, they those might things start to open up. It more, you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, when it comes down to uh, video on demand, it's going to be at all the uh, all the major digital platforms. Yeah, it will be. Where did you shoot the movie? Well, we shot it in Union Bridge in Maryland. Um, oh. Yep. Yeah. Is that what you said, where? Yeah, yeah. Would, did, the the people that... I was just wondering, do they, do they shoot a lot of movies? I wouldn't think that that's a place where they shoot a lot of movies. So, like, what did the people in that area think? Uh, they were, you know, they definitely, there's not a lot of movies shot in that area. So, you know, it was exciting. I think, you know, we were the talk of the town for a week. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. We were, you know, it was fun. And, and actually I just got some messages from some people in Union Bridge and one of the dads said, you know, uh, can you get me a poster? You got all the 15 year olds in uh, Union Bridge are excited to, for May 19th to see the movie. So as long oh, as that's cool. Was, as long yeah, as we do right by by them, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think there's anything in it like they'd be offended by, or you know. So uh, we do a lot of well, we talk about a lot of very weird movies. So I, I think you know sometimes people film a movie in a small town and then it comes out and they're like, whoa, and you know this isn't what I wanted my town to, you know, be involved with. But, you know, this isn't that kind of movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, uh, I do have to ask. Was, go on, uh, sorry. I was just going to say, hopefully what we did was, you know, captured a certain spirit and vibe. I mean, the town is very interesting and it's, it's in, you know, like I said, it feels like it's, you know, been the same for 50 years, but there is a certain uh, kind of haunted element to it. And I think it's something that probably the people there can appreciate because they sense it, I think. And I've talked to people there who do sense that. And hopefully in a way we kind of captured that feeling too. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of could be cool to to see that reflected on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. I I I know it played at the, I'm sorry. I go on. Sorry, Alex. No, I I think the movie, I mean, uh, you know, fun seeing it and stuff, but also it also touches a lot on, the socioeconomic divide, you know, uh, I think it's very interesting to have Will coming back, um, kind of more of like a, of a success, you know, kind of like prodigal son coming home. And then, an, you know, like a friend he knew well in high school, Nick Taylor, the character I play, is in a completely different, um, you know, I guess class. And they're both handling, um, you know, kind of nightmares or visions in a very different way. Um, and you know, the, 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 their compulsions are just negotiated differently, and it feels like a little bit of that is touched on in terms of just the, the you know the class system they're in, and I think that reflects the town as well. Yeah, yeah, so, and also, I mean, those characters—if you think about it—they were f- really friends and buddies until Will went off to 
to boarding school and kind of, in a sense, entered a different part of, of, of the world where, you know, he took over the family's factory and he was an international traveler and things like that. And so, you know, hopefully through those characters, you can kind of see a little bit of, um, you know, just different struggles that different people ha- go through um, based off of circumstance oftentimes where, you know, life because of things and forces outside yourself shapes you. And, um, and now they kind of come back together years later to deal with those forces. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I think is a relatable part of the movie. You know, uh, people can relate to that type of situation. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now, oh, yeah. now uh, I know it played at the, um, at a festival in New York, the uh, film, uh, New Filmmakers New York Film Festival. Uh, were either of you guys there for the for the any of the festival uh, screenings? I was super I, bummed. I, I was I was shooting something on the West Coast, so I couldn't make it. But um, but yeah. Anyway, anyway, sorry. It was a cool. Sh- it was a good screening. It was cool. I mean, to do it at the Anthology Film Archives, I think. In a way, symbolically, at least for me, it was interesting because, you know, it is a place that's connected to, you know, stuff that is kind of a little bit more arts, art, artistic and a little bit more punk rock and a little bit more counterpoint to some of some of the more uh, pop culture stuff. And so, you know, I wanted this film to have a little bit of that edge. And so it, exci- it was very exciting that we got to, you know, be a part of that and be in the Lower East Side of New York, where a lot of these, you know, great artists have come out of, and filmmakers who were really kind of trying to say, "Hey, let's push the limits of the medium, and let's let's make something a little bit fresh and different." So that was kind of mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, uh, what was the feedback like at the uh, festival? Uh, it was good. I mean, you know, I think in general the vibe was people were excited. In the movie is is a strange movie, you know. It's not a movie that you know it it kind of it it pulls you into its pace, and you kind of have to breathe a little bit with it. And you know, I think what I've seen just across the board is, you know, some people like that and want to go for the ride, and other people don't. And I think for the people who you know like something that. Um, takes the time a little bit more is a little bit more moody and atmospheric you can kind of tell that it struck a nerve with them and that they were excited that you know a movie like this was made and and so that was that was good because you know it was the film was kind of specific to my interest and my taste and i was glad that it resonated with some people Mm -hmm. That's what I like about the festivals. Um, a lot of movies that don't necessarily fit in like a certain genre or they're uh, different than like, you know, a lot of things you see, uh, they play well usually at a festival because it's a lot of people that are into, uh, into just films. And, and so they're going to have more of appreciation for it than, uh, than some other uh, audiences, I think. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, what are the benefits, do you think, of uh, running a festival? Or having your movie at the festival. Of having a movie at the festival? Um, yeah. Well, I'm sure there's, you know, well, first of all, depending on what the festival is, they, you know, can function as, uh, you know, basically an entry point to the, to the buyers. Um, you know, a lot of times to really get 
distribution, you really do need some type of festival uh, appearance. Not always, but oftentimes it, it really helps. And just to gain exposure and also to network and meet people and see other films and kind of take the temperature of, uh, you know, of, of the industry um, and of the art form, you know, you get to see what everybody's creating at that moment. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good environment. Mm-hmm. Now, um, oddly enough, we just had Larry Fessenden on, uh, who made who, no, director yeah. of Depraved. Yeah, he was. Uh, it was odd that this this came up this way, but um, so he's a very interesting guy. W- what was he like to to work with as as a director? Uh, I mean, Larry's a legend. Um, anyone in like independent cinema knows that, <sighs> and so. This is, it was actually really interesting because he wrote this script. The first iteration of this happened, um, you know, maybe 15, 17 years ago. He's been wanting to make this film forever. There were moments when he, like, took meetings in London with, like, Kate Winslet and, like, you know, Gomez del Toro and, like, all these, you know, bigger names attached. And then, you know, as scheduling pushed it off and then kind of the face of independent financing changed, he eventually just got you know, just decided to basically just go out on his own. And he, uh, he hooked up with Forger Films and they were excited about the concept. And um, yeah, he, he was like fantastic to work with. He was working with some newer cinematographers and, um, you know, gave us a lot of latitude as performers. Um, and that, that was, you know, that was like a six or seven week shoot, which was uh, that kind of space for, 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 for performance was, was nice. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, bringing it back to Union Bridge is also nice to have a compression of, you know, 20 days to shoot Union Bridge where, you know, Brian's moving things along, um, at a very good clip. So as an actor, you really get into like a nice rhythm, which was, you know, a mm-hmm. gift in, in and of itself. It reminded me, um, a little, a little bit of theater in a way. Yeah. Uh, just one more question about Depraved, um, cause Larry's obviously a huge fan of Frankenstein, uh, all different yeah. versions in the original you, novel. Uh, you yourself were you uh, were you uh, like, like were you how aware of you were of Frankenstein before you got the role? Um, it was I got an education from Professor Fessenden because you go to his <laughs> house and he has like wings of his house just devoted to uh, you know different books, posters, figurines. I mean. He is like a Frankenstein like nerd through and through. So <laughs> once I got the role, I definitely set off his enthusiasm, and he gave me um, certainly like a semester's worth of uh, you know college survey course. And so you know I read the Mary Shelley novel, I watched every every version ever filmed, which you know there's fun, um, and, and we had like a lot of in depth conversations. Usually, uh, you know, we had we basically did a lot of makeup mock ups and that was about an hour drive each direction. So we get to know each other, you know, really well over the course of that. And so, you know, I, I definitely have a soft spot in my heart for, for Larry and certainly was so honored to get a chance to be his monster. Oh, he loved yeah, you was, too. You could tell just by talking to him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He was, yeah. And uh, I guess I one mean, more it, question it, was then, uh, go on, sir. Oh, no, no, no. I just wanted to just put a pin in it and say that, you know, like, you know, like Brian, like Larry just loved film and, and he kind of, mm-hmm. he came of the era of like the 1970s filmmakers that just took chances, didn't take no for an answer. 
And, you know, at the end of the day, got their art done, which as mm-hmm. film was such a collaborative effort, such an expensive endeavor, um, certainly like inspires me, you know, in the current climate to like, you know, keep pushing forward with your own projects and just kind of, you know, say yes. Don't, don't look for reasons to, to like back down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, you said you like all, you know, all genres of movies. What were like some of the movies that you watch that made you, you know, want to make movies? Um, well, I think I like I started off kind of. I think people like kind of in the contemporary, like uh, Coen Brothers, P.T. Anderson, Tarantino, people like that, uh, Darren Aronofsky, and then from there, you know, you start to pull the thread to see who were they influenced by. And then you'd see Scorsese and Terrence Malick and David Lynch. And, you know, and then you'd see uh, who are, who are they associated with and who are they connected to. And, you know, you, you get to Kubrick and, uh, and Hitchcock. And so, you know, just kind of this web of interest where, um, you know, it's just, if you have a passion for the art form, you start to see how many great, films have been made and you know how many great filmmakers have done interesting things and so i think that was one thing with union bridge was okay how do i synthesize all these people who i've loved for all these years you know how do i make this shot feel a little bit you know like a shot from touch of evil or you know how do i make this feel like an antonioni movie um that to me is a lot of fun where you know you're not uh, you know, you're not copying someone, but you are in a lot of ways uh, heavily influenced by their style and, and things like that. And I thought that was a really fun part of the movie. And like, I could probably take someone through the movie and point out 50 shots where it was like, okay, this, this was kind of like taken from a John Ford movie. And this is, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Um, when you mentioned that though, so you- um, who was like your cinematographer? Did you did you work you know uh, closely with them to make sure that you got these shots that you wanted? Yeah, so the cinematographer's name is Sebastian Slater, and he's a young guy uh, at a NYU, and he's he's brilliant. I mean, really, definitely a guy. I think you're going to hear about in the future. Um, you know, he's just got he's just got it. And yeah, I uh, love the look uh, of this movie. You're right, uh, just amazing. Yeah, and just to think that he did this and he's, you know, I don't know, 28 or something. You know, it's like, God, the, you know, with the future, what, what he's going to do in the next 10 years is really going to be uh, unbelievable. Um, actually, and look, at, honestly, like, Alex, I feel the same way about, I feel the same way about a lot of the people who are in front of and behind the scenes with this movie where I do think that the talent level, for whatever reason, it was a little bit of a perfect storm and, we we just got a lot of great people who I think, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to look back and, and these are people who are going to be at the center of this cinematic, you know, kind of whatever the cinematic conversation is. I, I think that at least a half dozen of these people in this movie are going to be in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Alex, what, what kind of stuff do you want to uh, get into movies? Because I've seen you also have directed some uh, some shorts. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I mean, I, I certainly, I, I kind of love like the 
smaller, independent kind of gritty features. It's, so, it's really what I've like gotten into as, a, as I've like in terms of where my writing goes. I mean, I've certainly um, gone to the festival circuit with a few, few short films I've written and directed, and um, you know, I guess films that have like really meant a lot to me. Um, you know, recently, like I, I've been interested in kind of almost like a chapter book feature. Like like Moonlight, um, which is like you know three parts. There's kind of a palate cleanser almost for the audience, as as if you're watching episodes where, from one chapter to the next, you change points of view or environment for the story. Um, so it's certainly there's been like a lot of you know good cinema in the last few years that uh, you know has been able to to achieve that between like Blue Valentine, Moonlight. Um, or I'm blanking on this one, but, uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, um, are you more interested in acting or writing and, and directing? Uh, right now, I mean, I, I'm certainly, uh, I'm definitely just have my like feet staunchly in both. I mean, I, I would certainly, I, before coronavirus, I was, you know, shooting season two of this Apple TV series and very much involved with that. Um, but as that's been on hiatus, I've been writing, um, a second, like original feature script while pushing, um, a feature script that I've already written, already gotten to the hands to of some people that's won some screenplay competitions and stuff. And that's called campfire alpha. Um, and so right now I'm just kind of fundraising for that and checking temperature with, you know, producers and actors and, the nice thing about being an actor is that everything I write, I try to make an actor bait and have, you know, every character want to be something that I'd want to play on screen. And um, so, uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of that right now. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Apple TV, how, the the rise of like the different platforms. Um, how has that affected you as an actor and a, and a, and a filmmaker? Yeah, uh, before before we get, I, I, I wanted to just mention that, like, uh, Place Beyond the Pines, like, Derek C. in France, like, that's definitely kind of, like, the uh, the vibe that's heavily influenced kind of my writing so far. Okay. Um, but uh, with, well, I mean, just, I don't want to get too granular, but, you know, as, as a New York actor, I'm lucky to have, Film, independent film, theater, and TV at my disposal. Those are casting at all times. But with the coronavirus, theater is done for, mm-hmm. you know, 2020, maybe well into 2021. Um, and so it's really a blessing to have these new screen, streaming networks such as Apple TV series, Quibi, and, uh, you know, NBC's Peacock and so forth. It just means that there's going to be more opportunities, uh, you know, for actors to do two other shows, you know, how this is impacting pilot season is that it's kind of wiped out this pilot season in a way. Um, so I would imagine that networks are going to just have to make the KG call on whether to order things straight to series or basically just push it to turn around, uh, when they have pilot season, you know, maybe in subsequent years, but definitely, Definitely, it's overall for actors. It's a good thing. It just means there's there's more there's more jobs, there's more opportunities, there's more auditions. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. uh, Brian with uh, Union Bridge, um, I know we talked about going on video on demand. Will there eventually be a, a physical release? 
Yeah, there's a DVD release as well. Yeah, on on, on May nineteenth. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. That's good. And I think it's <laughs> going to be you know stores all over. So. Yeah. Well, where you know places where people can go, well, you know what stores are open, you can get it. Yeah. Oh, uh, not like Target and Best Buy and stuff. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, what What are you working on currently? Well, I guess you can't really work on too much. But. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, right now I'm like kind of just super focused on promoting Union Bridge and mm-hmm. trying to make sure that when it comes out, um, you know, I think I think we made a good film. And I think that that's not the, you know, that's, but that's not the, the full picture. The full picture is people need to know about it. And right. so, you know, I really, I'm really trying to be super focused and on promoting the movie. And, um, you know, aside from that, um, I have another script, uh, like a film noir that's kind of ready to go. That was influenced by stuff like, uh, the long goodbye and, Sunset Boulevard, stuff like that. Um, and then I have, uh, a, I also spend a lot of time in the comedy space, so I have a couple comedy scripts that are ready to go. Um, and I'm also just always looking for, you know, what's that next inspiration? I, I just bought um, Dennis Hopper's The Last Movie. Have you heard of The Last Movie? No. It was, I think it's, I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right. Alex, it's called The Last Movie, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically after Easy Ride, after Easy Rider, Dennis Hopper made another film called The Last Movie. And, um, and you know, it had a whole crazy history to it. But now it's out on, you know, it was finally kind of released, you know, 30 years later. Uh-huh. And it's available. And he, he directed it. And he was, you know, he, he was hanging out with Joe Dorowski during the time. And so it's a very surreal type of film. Uh, so I actually got that off of Amazon because, you know, I'm always looking for like, okay, is this the style or something that's going to inspire the next thing? And a lot, a lot of that is kind of instinctual where it's like there was just something about that movie that I felt like I needed to see because maybe it could help creatively push me into like my next, you know, whatever my next uh, film is going to be. And so, you know, I'm always kind of looking for, for inspiration. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I'm looking, I just looked at this now. I'm not aware of this movie and uh, I would like to check that out myself. Yeah. It looks looks pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. How it just now came out. Yeah. Right. I mean, the history of it is crazy. It's basically was, shelved immediately and you know you, there was one copy and you could see it if you were at I don't know the AFI where or you know somewhere like that but you know now right. it's out so it's cool yeah huh that's, that's pretty wild okay. I learned something new here yes uh, uh, Alex uh, the, are you uh, currently trying to uh, work on anything yeah yeah I'm, uh, I'm in the middle of shooting season two of an Apple TV series called C that stars uh, your favorite action crew of David Batista and Jason Momoa. Oh, wow. Interesting. And, That's pretty uh, cool. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, Jason Momoa and Dave Batista are kind of the headliners. Um, there's also uh, some you know, Danish and uh, Dutch actresses that, that are co-leading it. Um, but that, that shoots in Toronto, so I'm 
we're three episodes in and then we got suspended because of COVID, but um, Apple TV's already ex- already extended it to three seasons. So we'll definitely, I'm lucky to go back to that whenever this thing passes. And uh, in addition to that, I'm just auditioning here and there. Um, what's one thing I've found that's interesting is some movies, or at least I've had two film auditions that are now reconceiving the shoot into like a podcast, like a narrative podcast. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, I've just kind of been busy doing some voiceover work with that. That's pretty cool. I know that's becoming like a, a bigger thing. And I like that because uh, I like the old like radio dramas, like real like, totally, you know, yeah. some price and stuff. So it's cool that that's because that's something that just seems like, you know, doesn't exist. And then it's starting to come, uh, become a thing again now with podcasts. Yeah. I'm really curious to see where it goes and whether there's, you know, how much of the, of an audience there is for something like that. But, um, it certainly, it gives writers another way to get their work out at a much cheaper, uh, price point, you know? So I would, I, I'm optimistic that, you know, cream will rise to the top and the good ones could be very special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, someone pretty. Uh, uh, I think Rami Malik is that how you pronounce him? Um, he mm-hmm. did one uh, too. He did one. I think yeah, this last he was year. Talking about that, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't talked to Brian about this, but it's also a way for writers to get their work out there. Where uh, Apple TV series, for example, they just greenlit a project that's based on a podcast mm-hmm. uh, starring Paul Rudd and Will Ferrell. And oh yeah, that's, yeah. You know, yeah, so I mean, it's also a way. It's almost like you know, write the novel, then sell the film rights. It's kind of like maybe put out like a compelling narrative podcast, and then possibly get in the room with uh, film producers. I'm not sure. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, because well, last few years, actually, yeah, these last few years, there's been so many comic book things that go and become movies, and uh, so. And people don't read that much anymore, so maybe if, you know, uh, something, like you said, like a narrative podcast, and uh, that can be the inspiration for uh, for new stuff. So that is interesting. Plus, I think they're just yeah, fun to listen to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, um, Union Bridge, I really liked it. Troy loved it. Yeah, I and, did. I really, uh, really dug that. I love the pacing oh. of the movie. Like, it just kind of kind of lowers you in and then just kind of like takes you over you're just fascinated by it you know like probably half an hour into it like i just couldn't go from it that's great i'm glad to hear that because it's always like you always feel like at least for me like i always feel like it's a little bit of a risk because you take your time and, oh sure you know sometimes people don't have attention spans and some people are just not going to have that attention span and you got to kind of say well, look, you know, we're going to go at this pace. And if you're in, you're in. And if you're not, you're not. And that's fine. And so, but I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that uh, it, it kind of did what it was supposed to and kind of got you involved. <laughs> yeah, it didn't yeah. lose me anyway. You know, like, yeah. I'm usually one, like, my attention span isn't great. I got to admit that. <laughs> but but this one sucked me in. And I was like, okay, I'm like. Great. Yeah. He says that, oh, but aren't you driving around listening to like like uh, seventy two hour long like uh, audiobooks? I think you'd have, I have pretty to. Good. Yeah. That, that, well, no, because I, I think 
it, it has to be a certain thing, you know, like I could listen right. to an F. Paul Wilson thing because it sucks me in, but I can't listen to just anything. I see, I see. <laughs> Yeah. I also find audiobooks take, take a lot, lot longer to listen to than just read. <laughs> oh, right. yeah, that's true. That's so true. Yeah. I, and there's something nice about having to, somebody read to you. It brings it me is, back to, like, yeah. my childhood, you know? It's like, right. I think of my grandmother just, you know, reading me reading me a story. It's just great. Yeah, I've been I'm listening sorry. to the stand. Uh, no, it's all right. What were you saying, sorry? A debate I'm having with my friends, I'd be curious what the uh, three gentlemen on this podcast think, is if you've listened to a book on audio tape, can you say you read the book? <laughs> or yeah. something completely different? <laughs> I, I always wonder about that myself when I post it, because I listen, I walk a lot, and so I listen to audiobooks, and I always totally. write, like, did I listen? I always write listen, because I do... I feel kind of lame saying I read it when I was I really listened to it, but I, I don't know. Like after you're done, I think you could say like I I, I read the book, but you really well, did. Uh, I don't know. It it's a weird thing. It depends, <laughs> it depends who you're trying to impress. <laughs> <laughs> I think if it's a series, you could say that if you've read at least one of the books in the series. Okay. So like if you read the first, you know. Um, George R. R. Martin book, then you know, like you can listen to the rest of the Game of Thrones, and, and then you could say you've read them all because you read mm. at least one in the series. That, this is my rule. I have not heard before. I like that. <laughs> yep. Because I've been listening to the Stand because I always wanted to read it, and now I have time, and it's for it's like a forty-eight hour runtime. But then when I started listening to it, I was like, oh, this is not a good book to be listening to right now. You know, it's all about <laughs> a disease killing everybody yeah. off. And yeah. I was like, oh, this is very uplifting. Oh, you're the walking dude now, Neil. You're, 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 know. you're, you're Randall, Randall Flag. Flag. Yeah. yeah. I took many breaks, but I'm back on it now. <laughs> and I, I have a question. Where, where are you guys located? Oh, we're both in Massachusetts. Okay, I'm on. I'm oh. on Cape Cod. Troy's off the Cape. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Okay, cool. Very cool. So where I I live in a pretty small town, Sandwich. So when I say walk around, I'm not really around anybody. So <laughs> yeah, it's not like a city closing down kind of thing. So it's probably not as weird for you. Well, it is weird though because right. I walk around and it is no, but not like New York or around. Boston or something. No. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. No, no. yeah. It's still strange. Has this affected uh, what you guys do? Because there's lots of releases now. Um, well, I work in a school, so ours ours has pretty much stayed the same. Like um, uh-huh. nothing too crazy there. Uh, just that the kids are like they're going to school from home now. They're doing it online. Gotcha. Okay. The, the thing I, I mean, I live my day kind of the same. I do a lot. I do more podcasts because people have more free time. But um, what I miss is just go, I miss going to the movies, uh, oh, hanging yeah. out in Boston. But uh, it hasn't necessarily af- affected me too much. I did. I had a, a short film that was in the festivals right now. And, uh, you know, that's ended. And I uh, produced my first feature. In February, and I don't know what's happening with that. So you know that's uh, depressing, but but eventually I, I guess things will will get out there. 
Right. But Neil's story is a little different with his audiobook uh, journey because he's lost like 150 pounds doing his walks. Right. So his his audiobook adventure has been a pretty pretty exciting one. That. Yeah. That's amazing. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 100, 145 pounds. Not quite. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm giving you an extra five. <laughs> That's the opposite of my quarantine weight situation where I seem to have like just double the appetite of everything. <laughs> I'm just sitting at home like uh, like just stuffing food in my face at any hour of the day. <laughs> All right. Yeah, my friend uh, Trista said I was looking like uh, something out of Mad Max because I wear the mask and I got gloves and <laughs> I have like uh, like all these military things to carry like my coffee in but uh i don't know you gotta <laughs> i want to keep walking and but i do i guess look kind of bizarre <laughs> which i guess i do anyway <laughs> you're an interesting looking cat right right i don't carry a pickaxe like like uh, alex did in that's the, good in the <laughs> Trust me, it's a better way to meet people. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Shovel in a pickaxe. It might help with the social distance thing if I, yep. if I can yeah, pick right. it. <laughs> Stay away from this guy. So, uh, how could, speaking of pickaxes, I don't, I don't know how that makes any sense, but how could people follow you guys online to see what you're up to? Alex, you have, uh, I'm sure you have some social media situation going on. Yeah, you can follow me um, on my, my website. It's just real simple, alexbro.com. Bro is B-R-E-A-U-X, a little Cajun flavor for all those Southern genteel fans. And uh, I'm also on Instagram. Are you good? And the, uh, the, the film has a Facebook page. I think it's Union Bridge uh, Film. And I have my own Instagram, which is Brian Levin Films. Those are two places we're at that I'm at. Yeah, Excellent. very good. Well, I really dug the movie, and I hope people will check it out and also enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Awesome! It. Thank you. Yeah, and wish and you I guys appreciate... all the best for the future. Because yeah, def- you know, guys are doing good stuff. Yeah, and I appreciate thank both you. coming on. Mm-hmm. All Absolutely. right, thank you. Stay well. Thank you, you as well. And okay, continue uh, listening to books. Good night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure. That's, that's Neil's advice of the night. All right. All right. All right. Good night, guys. See you. Bye, guys. All right. Thanks Bye. a lot. From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. The Tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming tonight! Mostly! They're coming tonight! Mostly! Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. Hola, this is Gigi Saul Guerrero from Lucho Gore Productions, and you're listening to Without Your Head.
Welcome to the Station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Issa Lopez, writer and director of Tigers Are Not Afraid, which is coming out on DVD and the Blu-ray Steelbook May 5th. It's very cool to have you back on the show. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to to keep on talking uh, because people are still want to say something about this movie, so let's do it. Yeah. Now, I saw it at uh, Boston Underground Film Festival in 2018, which you were there. And uh, so it's, you know, had festival run, there was on Shutter, and now it's coming out on Blu-ray. So what's been like this experience like to see your movie, you know, go all over the world and, you know, eventually uh, get a physical release? Well, it's, you know, it, this is a movie that when we finished it, me and the producing team, felt that it, it had something that it was different out there, that it was doing, approaching two genres and mixing them. It had something to say. We put it out into the world, and uh, for an entire year, it got rejection after rejection after rejection in all the festivals, all the film festivals around the world. And it, that was so disheartening and made me question everything from the quality of the film to my own quality as a filmmaker. But then it found its place in the genre circuit. And um, uh, fans of the supernatural and horror embraced and championed it. And it took this entire second life, which was amazing. And it's still going on. Did an entire year of festivals around the world and then had a theatrical run in the U.S. Um, with lovely reviews. And now it's, it's getting a... a Steel book with um, with all the extras I could think of. They would say yes, we'll put it there. So there's set stills and there's set designs and character concept and uh, casting calls with the with the young actors and there's a feature of 45 minutes on how we made a movie. So it's just such a joy that I will be able to own it myself. And um, mm-hmm. and even if, if streaming services disappear. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing that exists in the real world. And, uh, and I, this is it. It's, it's, it's the perfect ending to a story that started in a struggle and ended up uh, in love from a lot of fans. It's been a really beautiful journey. Yeah. I love the movie. It was one of my favorite movies of that year when I saw it originally. And um, it's got so many great visuals, like, a, a, you know, the kid in, the, um, in a hollowed out TV and, uh, some of that stuff was all that stuff in the script or some of those things like you might happen to see like a, a TV where you're filming and like this would make a good visual for the movie. A little bit of both. Um, for example, the kid in the TV, that's in the first draft of the script, you know, and then um, I had this approach to to writing a script that you do your absolute best, no doubt, in a first draft. But that's not a script. When you go to the second and the third and the fourth, uh, even the things that work, if you give them a once-over and you question how can you make that scene extraordinary or unique or unforgettable, what can you do? Because the events are there. Whatever needs to happen in the scene is there. What else can we do to make it unique? And, and that's where the visuals come and uh, what happens is uh, when I start working on a movie, even before writing from conception, I start putting a, a file, at the beginning a little file, and eventually it becomes massive of visual references. So I, I found war photographs 
where one of the kids would have the number of a soccer team drawn with marker on his back. And I stuff like that, I felt immediately had to be in the movie. So slowly, scenes that are about solving one conflict, for example, my gang of small characters faces a gang of older kids, and there's a, a very, very angry exchange between those two. And I have that scene. And I had the question of how should I make it unique and extraordinary in a way that reflects the world I'm trying to create here. And that's where the burning piano comes in and, mm -hmm. and makes it striking. And you try to do that in everything. Those are the visuals. Yeah. There's a, so one of the things I really, because a lot of contrast in the movie, because it's like kids still trying to be kids because they're kids. Uh, but so many awful things going around them. Like even... Uh, it's like a police tape and they're still trying to play like, you know, cause they're playing around while there's like a dead body there. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like that comes from, from, from studying how children behave in war zones. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, I could say like a lot of people, middle-class people in Mexico will tell you, I've, I've never been in a war and that's a lie. It's happening around you. And, uh, and pretty much the same way that the pandemic is happening around us and, and we're still going on with our lives and being ourselves is, is how it happens in a war zone. That said, I did went through endless uh, visual research into what was happening with kids in refugee camps, kids in Syria, et cetera, et cetera. Everywhere you would see them playing. Yeah, I, yeah. Just yesterday, I kid you not, I saw a video and it was both heartbreaking and so touching of little kids, Syrian kids, playing in a refugee camp in Jordan, and they're playing in the boxes where, in the large boxes where their shoes, their new shoes were delivered, and they're having a blast just getting inside the boxes and hiding from each other. It's just the human spirit, and it's what kids will do. This have, they have this incredible resilience of jumping between tremendous grief to play. Well, I think like in the movie or in real life, the imagination uh, keeps them away um, from some of the horrors. And then in the movie that progresses into, into, you know, like a supernatural elements. You know, uh, and do people ever ask like what happens? Is it real or is it in her mind? That happens a lot. Uh, for me, I know. Mm -hmm. uh, what happens if it's real or if it's in her I, of course I know you know as a storyteller you do need to know uh, yeah. and if you look closely the, the hints and the clues are there to figure out if it's only on her head or not um, but I get that question a lot and for me it's a really interesting question because it says I often ask what do you think because the answer to that question will tell you a lot more about the one asking. Um, the movie, in a way, is the clash between Estrella's word, world and Shine's world. And Estrella's world is a world where the dead walk uh, on our side and the supernatural exists. And Shine's world is a, is a world where there's nothing but ourselves. So um, depending on what you read, when you see the movie, if you think it's in her mind, you're more shiny. And if you think it's actually a wider world that she has access to, 
than your monasteria. It's more interesting to figure out who you are than what the movie <laughs> is trying to say yeah. in that regard, I think. So since you had a chance to see the movie at different locations on the festival run, uh, did audiences in different parts of the world um, react to the movie differently? Absolutely. In in a way, you know, uh, what I was saying is um, when you're shooting a movie, you honestly don't know what uh, what you're doing. You're, you're in the middle of the experience and 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 it becomes focused on what the problem you have to solve that day and you hope for the best. And then it comes together and uh, and you don't really know what you did until you sit in a movie theater with an audience. Um, what happened? What happened with Tigers, which was lovely, is the fact that at an emotional level for for the the dire situation these kids are in, every place that I've seen it play in the world, they responded to that, to to the dark side of it, let's call it. Mm-hmm. And I saw it in Korea, in South Korea, and I saw it in Belfast. I saw it in Amsterdam. I saw it in Boston, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, the humor is different. The movie has a component of comedy. These kids, as happened, they're so funny, even in the middle of, of this tremendous dark situation. And, uh, and I found that some cultures love the idea of, of having a moment of levity in this, and they respond, and I had very laugh laughter. Uh, for example, in Belfast, um, Mexico definitely is, is, is the Latin American sense of humor. But in cultures like uh, like in the Netherlands, uh, in Amsterdam, um, it, it was a dead quiet. There was no sound to our, throughout the entire experience, yet they loved the movie. And when I had a chance to talk with them about it, is they found the moments funny, but they, they felt that they couldn't laugh in a movie where such dark events were taking place. And I think the difference is that cultures that are used to a certain degree of violence on their everyday lives, say Belfast, say Mexico, they simply know that you can laugh in the middle of this darkness. So that was different and that was so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a that's another uh, defense mechanism, I think, being able to laugh along with your imagination like in the movie. So uh Tigers mm-hmm. are not afraid. I loved it, and not just because you're here. So uh, people should definitely get it on May 5th when it comes out on uh, Blu-ray and DVD. Thank and you. I appreciate you coming. Yeah, and I appreciate you coming on. And it was very cool to meet you in Boston. Oh, it was. It was. You know, you've been here for the long ride. So thank you so much. Take care. Yeah. Take care. Bye.
Peter Laser. As you know, I hate human beings. And you are listening to WithoutYourHead.com. All right, and we're back here once again at the station of decapitation without your head, and I'm still Nasty Neil. And I remain terrible Troy. Mm-hmm. And a big thanks to Brian Levin and Alex Bro of Union Bridge, which is coming out from Breaking Glass Pictures May 19th on video on demand and DVD. Mm-hmm. Really dug it. I like that one a lot. Yes, I liked it a lot too. And uh, thanks to our music of the month this month, Black Frog. Mm-hmm. I believe we have a music of the month coming up next month already. Let me let me get that. Oh, uh, oh. You know I have them here somewhere. We have a secret music of the month coming up. Yeah. Pretty cool. We're actually going to be doing an interview with them, possibly on video. They want to do a video interview where they're in full makeup. Ooh. They're a German punk band. The name is escaping me at the moment. It's very bad of me. But I dig their stuff. I've uh, listened to I've used it uh, throughout the years. Um, but I uh, do not believe they... Here we go. The Mutant Reavers. The Mutant Reavers will be Music of the Month in May. The German punk band, The Mutant Reavers. So I like the name. Fun. Yeah, it's a cool I'm not familiar with them. So, uh, yeah, they want to do a video interview uh, in full uh, makeup. So uh, maybe, we'll get, maybe we'll work that out. That'd be fun. Yeah, that sounds way cool. Do we have to wear makeup, too? Yes. All right. It's like a drag show? Some kind, kind of, of costume. All right. Right. Whatever you're into, buddy. All right. That sounds you're cool. just looking for an excuse to, to get to drag. Admit it. Uh, I don't know, man. I'd have to shave the beard. It'd be kind of weird. Do you? Maybe you could be the bearded lady. All right. All right. There, there might be something for that. That might be a new uh, niche for, uh, mm-hmm. for bearded guys that want to be in drag but don't want to shave the beard. Yeah. You're always watching the drag uh, race and stuff, so I thought maybe it'd be your deal. No, I, I do love, I do love the uh, the drag shows. I do I love uh, the drag race, and then now there's a new one. New one just started this week. Really? Yeah. I What's can't think of the name of it. It's drag, dragalicious. Yeah, dragalicious. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's not dragalicious, but it's for the former um, RuPaul's. Uh, drag show stars and they go around and give people like makeovers that are in need so the the first one was this girl that was getting married and she kind of dressed in flannel a lot and she wanted to look good for her wedding so they came in and the four of them helped her out Mm. it was good stuff it was a feel good kind of show yeah that's that's very nice very nice very nice so coming up this saturday Yes, sir. This oh, Saturday. Saturday. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. Severed Limbs Film Festival Watch Party. This Saturday. Be there live, live, live. So, this Saturday is going to start at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 Pacific. At seven thirty, we're gonna show a bunch of trailers. So if you're out there and you want your trailer to be seen, uh, send that to me. Send it at without your head at gmail.com. 
It could be a trailer for a feature film. It could be a fake trailer, whatever. Send that in. And then right at eight, uh, we are going to start with all the shorts. And there's already like 30 that's uh, been selected. And I have more tonight that I'm going to be announcing after the show. But I have to go. I've been getting a lot of selections here today. But uh, so you have tonight's the last night. If you're listening right now to, to send your stuff in without your head at gmail.com. Uh, because after that, uh, cause I have to get everything organized so after that, it's going to be too late. So get it in tonight. Try not to get in Friday. Maybe I'll squeeze you in Friday, but definitely no more after that tonight. Uh-huh. It, it will preferably your last time to get in. So let's nice. go over a few of these that are, that are, uh, been selected. We have what's the buzz, which is a cautionary PSA about the effects of masturbation. Whoa. And that is uh, from Brett Glassberg, uh, former guest here on Without Your Head. Nice. Pumpkin bitch. Two children are forced to defend the planet from a bevy of headless demons. Now that just screams without your head. I I would be there just for that. Exactly. And that's from uh, Mick Thomas. Also, uh, I did a video interview with him at... uh, Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival. Nice. There's nothing in the shed. Oh, God! There's something oh. in the shed! And it's uh, by David Axe, former guest here on the show. Nice. Boxed in. Two wedding guests are trapped in a hallway surrounded by evil and hijinks ensue. That was uh, submitted by Troy Minkowski. Not Troy Jones. All right. <laughs> They're both from Massachusetts, though. Oh, okay. And I met both of them. Or I've met you more often, though. Yes. Yes. Pat oh. and... Yes, yes. Pat and Matrice. A woman dealing with crisis needs the support of her close girlfriend to get her through the chaos. And that is from Mike, Mikey Messier. Mother. Ten years after the horrific events at the Bates Motel, Norman wakes up inside a mental asylum with no memory of how he got there. Now, in order to get out, Norman must confront his worst nightmare, his mother. Ooh. Oh, I'm kind of interested on that one. Yes, it's uh, excellent. Uh, and that is uh, directed and submitted by Chris Notariley. Let's see here. Pop! Don't open the box! And that's from STX Media, who we've also had on the show. The Last Halloween! Four young trick-or-treaters set out on a door-to-door adventure, making their way from house to house, collecting strange treats as they go. They could very well end up being... The last Halloween. Ooh. And it's from Mark Russell. Hey, you ever heard of Rob Zombie? Oh, well. Strange. Yeah, that, that's the name of it. Oh, okay. I thought you were asking me a question. Oh, well, it is a question. The name of the, All the right. Title. A strange, funny experience at a Halloween store from Paul Kunellis. Nice. 
Um, we've got a Sound of Forever from Eric Poe. I don't have a description of that one. Monster Dick, which is an animated. <laughs> I don't think that one needs any explanation. No. Uh, welcome to the Horror Episode One, Ping. Mm. And that is part of a digital horror anthology specifically for social media. A show made by horror fans for horror fans. So we will show episode one. Oh, wow. Ryan Joseph Murphy. Urban Legend, which is a short film from a feature film, Paranoid Tapes 10, Stories from Within. So it'd be like kind of like if we showed The Crepe from Creepshow. Oh, very nice. And that's by uh, Jack Hunter, also a former guest here on the show. Mm-hmm. Happenstance. A lone soul murderer living life like any other, trying to fill the space in his heart as well as the space in his meat freezer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, From that one's got me. I, I'm looking forward to that one now. I am as well. George James Fraser, a friend of ours. Uh, he also has two. He has uh, happenstance, and he also has a ballet omain. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Ballet omain. A young dancer scrutinized by her peers sources out to black magic to exact revenge and dance to her own beat. Nice. Okay, I'm, I'm thinking we got two winners from him then. I agree. Bullied. Izzy gets picked on by a bully at school every day by a boy named Jack. She asked Principal Connors for help in the situation, but his advice to Izzy is to take care of it herself. Ooh, ominous. Yes. Also from former guest Nick Charles. Nice. The world is full of weeping. Amid an ever-changing world, the one in which we live, here is a movie to give you food for thought. For a little while, at least. Our offering... On this, the sixth day of the Idol March. And that's from Jezebel Anat. Nice. Don't you dare. A group of young girls are a group of young girls are abducted by some dangerous men by dabbling in the occult, however, they find salvation in a dark entity. But at what cost? Mm. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Cook. Valentine's Eve, a killer date. That's from Dean Midas. Uh, Bestiari, which is a vampire short, and I mean a zombie short, I'm sorry. And that is from Pepper Wren. Mm. Insomniac. Roger Humphreys has been suffering from insomnia all his life. With each year getting deeper and deeper into a hole of which he doesn't think he'll ever return. Oh, interesting. I, I usually have good luck with uh, any kind of movie or book involving insomnia. I don't know mm. why. Interesting. That's from Matthew Fisher, also a former guest here on the show. Excellent. Hari Kiri Canvas. <laughs> I love the title. I do, and that's from Alexander Hawk. Also from Alexander is Acceptance. Alexander, also a former guest on the show. I think oh, that. very good. Uh, also for Matthew Fisher is Victoria. Hmm. And that has a f- uh, several uh, former guests on the show in it. 
Oh, does it? Yeah, it's got uh, David Maggot McDonough in it and oh, uh, and Richard Chandler. Oh, too cool. A warm, a warming trend. Scarlet has powers that she isn't aware of. Can you guess where they come from? I'm gonna guess from hell. Hmm. That is from Ann Kulichik. Okay. Clown roulette. <laughs> is that a take on Russian day. roulette? So, a clown takes victims hostage for a twisted game of musical chairs mixed with Russian roulette. Awesome. Oh my God. That I'm totally looking forward to. Yes. And that is from Key Hornick. Furry. The happy and magical Easter Bunny goes on a fun time adventure. I'm Easter Rabbit. Hooray. <laughs> And that is from Rick Chandler, former guest on the show. Very nice. And uh, last but not least, agreed. And last but not least, but there will be more being announced tonight because I have something to go through after the show. El Indio de Catuya, an eye-opening documentary about Curandar. I'm sorry, I'll not know how to pronounce his name. I'm sorry. Uh, about Curandero Miguel Angel Vasquez, a traditional Indian folk healer in Contula, Texas, produced by Mariela Salinas Perez and edited by Robert Perez. Nice. Former so guest on the show. And I think it's 28, but uh, it's going to be awesome. over 30. But, yeah. Very nice, Neil. Yeah, so I'm not sure how long this is going to run. It's going to run till, it, till they're all done. Yeah, that's exactly. Mm-hmm. How many you get, and then you know if it's two hours, if it's eight hours, whatever exactly. it is. Exactly. So, uh, uh, Mister Mitten Troy, or Man Mitten, the headless yes. critic, he's been busy. Got What's a lot of got a lot of new reviews up. The new zoo review. Got Butt Boy review, which I, I love, but. Mm-hmm. Cry for the Badman, which I've not seen, must admit, but it does have former uh, guest on the show, Camille Keaton, from I Spit on Your Grave. Oh, very nice. Veronica, which is arguably the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Absolutely I like that you just got that out there. You're like, okay, got to tell you. Yeah. Full disclosure. <laughs> it is so bad. It is just the pits. The Glenn Danzig film. Oh, okay. Is it like Mother Bad or is it even worse? Oh, it's much worse. That's like, much it, worse. It's, okay. It's made, yeah, it's made by someone who like clearly doesn't know how to make a film. <laughs> so all the pretentiousness, but none of like anything good about Mother. No, it's yeah, no, there's nothing good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, there's a there is a, a spider that's like born out of uh, like tears that fall out of eyeball nipples. Okay, that's different. And then, well, they though so the nip so this woman has nip has eyeballs in her nipples, and they cry okay. and then they land on the fakest looking spider you've ever seen in a film. Uh-huh. And then and that turns into a big giant uh, Spider-Man. Oh, monster. okay. All right. 
who's into Does rape. Does it look better than the fake spider anyway? It does, but it does. But, but they look, like really light it. Like, like I kind of think the monster would look fine if he was kind of hidden in the sh- shadows. Uh huh. And like they did some move because he's got six arms, so yeah, you, you have to move the arms a little bit. But he stands there in full light with these uh-huh. four very lifeless rubber arms that just hang there and do nothing. Oh no, that's not good. And it looks bad. You would think I would love a movie with a with a, a rapist Spider Man that was born from from uh, eyeball nipple tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't see how you could lose on that one. It is the best part of the movie. All right, the rest <laughs> of it. Oh my god, that was entertainingly bad. The rest of them are just very boringly bad. Oh, it's not good then. It's and how an long anthology. is that segment? The uh, the one with the spider. Um, probably like twenty five minutes, maybe. No, oh, okay. It's still not like. But even that that's not worth. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Man, it's bad. Bad times, Drew. Man. Maybe you'll watch it at some point. I probably will. At some point in time, I'm bound to like get bored. At some point in time, I'll probably watch uh, Aquaman just because. Well, then, mean I'm looking forward to it. Like I'm not a fan of Aquaman, but it's it's a but it's, it's not much. bad like this one. <laughs> no, not, not, not by any means. This, but this still, I'm not looking forward level. to that. I'll probably watch it eventually. Right. This is bad in every way you can imagine. <laughs> it really has no redeeming qualities. Oh, no. It's made by someone who doesn't know how to make a movie. Half the people oh, don't know how to act. Is the soundtrack good anyway? You think, like, coming from a musical background? I think it's all his music. So oh, is that? I guess. Everybody wearing, like, Frankenstein monster boots? <laughs> well, it's mostly like, I assume, I don't know, I don't want to say this, but I assume they're adult, uh, or either strippers or, like, adult porn <laughs> Oh, really? Mm. Well, I didn't so make it. for a lot of skin, then maybe it's, yeah. maybe it's for you, then. I mean, the third movie's really just so a naked woman bathing in blood. There's like basically no story. It's just like you just watch her for like twenty minutes bathing in blood, and it's like okay, great, <laughs> time to move on. Right? Maybe you saw it for twenty seconds. It might be neat. <laughs> My God, it's so bad. It's not even fun. It's really not even funny. Bad, to be honest. It's just so bad. Uh-huh. Yeah, I but, hate those ones. At least ones that are so goofy, that so bad right. that, and goofy that they're funny. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, oh, besides that, he's also uh, uh, Penance Lane, which I liked a lot. We had uh, the, the cast on last week. Oh, okay. Oh, these are more of the Mitten reviews. Yes, he's, he's been a busy Our man, man. so a round of applause to Mitten. Finally oh, yeah. got off his lazy ass and did something. <laughs> Or sat on his ass and did something. That's true. That's true. Watching these Abnorm- movies. Exactly. Abnormal attraction. This one I'm not I'm not aware of, but it looks pretty awesome. Hmm. 
Here's just what it's about. In the beginning, God created man and cyclops and mermaids and abominable snowmen and everything else you can imagine. <laughs> I actually saw a trailer for this, Neil. Looks awesome. It's it's on. I don't know if it was on Amazon Prime or where it was, but I, I actually watched the trailer for it because the the um like the movie poster was so weird. I'm like, what the hell is this? Oh, it is on. Uh, yeah, it's on. Uh, uh, it's on uh, Amazon Prime. You can watch it for free. Gilbert <laughs> yeah. Godfrey's in it. Holy yep. Fuck. Yep. And so so is uh, Malcolm McDowell. Really? It's got a crazy good cast, Neil. I think somebody that we just recently interviewed, like yeah, Tyler the, Yeah, Tyler Maine's in it, right. It kind of blew my mind. I think he's the Cyclops. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, there's all kinds of weird shit going on in that deal. There's a Bigfoot running through, and I think there's there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening. I'm gonna watch this movie. I'm gonna watch. Well, let's both watch it before next week. So we can talk about. Okay. It. All right. That sounds good. Yeah. I might have to get B liquored up before she'll watch it, though. Nah. Tire up or something. All right, I can do that. Let's see here. I don't. I mean, we don't want to know that. Oh, no, all right. DMI. All right. Uh, a movie I've been wanting to see. I, I I didn't know it was actually out available somewhere. I, I have to look into this. But the new Elijah Wood film, Come to Daddy. I love the look of this movie. Yeah. Oh, you can rent it on uh, Amazon Prime for five ninety nine. Oh, okay. And Elijah Wood's always great. I agree. I love the man. Mm-hmm. He'd be a great guest to have on one day. I tried to do it. Tried to do it. One day he'll do it. Yeah. Anybody uh, out there, if you know Elijah, pressure him into coming. Yeah. Up. Twist his arm. Yep. Kick him in the shin or something. That's it. Uh, another movie I've been dying to see. I don't know where you get this movie. An Evening with Beverly Laughlin. And it's made by uh, by the man who made the, one of my favorite modern films, The Greasy Strangler. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, I don't need to see this movie at some point. That's also a rental on Amazon Prime. It's only four bucks. So. Okay. Uh, let's see here. 1BR. Um hmm sure what that is but he really liked it so that's cool it's i've been good. i've been seeing in a lot lot of uh headless critics so i'm thinking he's been liking a lot of these movies yes yes good man finally st- and he loved this movie that has really been splitting audiences because i've seen people really love it and people really hate it actually our mom didn't like it i think she went to see it when it was still at the theaters might have been the last movie she went to see the hunt oh yeah yep she did not like that at all no Man, it's twenty dollar rental. Oh, man! Wow. Have you been spending the big bucks here right in the movie? <laughs> wow! What do they? Where do they get off charging twenty bucks for a rental? That seems crazy yeah. to me. Oh, I know. I, I think it's because it's like in the theaters or would be in the theaters. So, yeah, well, there aren't any open theaters, so charge me like three bucks. Yeah, or Go even to Red five. Box, give me two bucks. You know. I could see five bucks. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, there you go. Bunch of bunch of stuff. Go check those out. Um, even though, like, you know, he's kind of enemy of us at times. 
Uh, I'm just kidding. He's a good dude. Uh, we stand behind Jason Mitten. Oh, without a doubt. The beat his ass sometimes. Sometimes you got to do that, though. You just do that every now and then just to make sure nobody's sleeping. Exactly. If I'm asleep at the switch, I get like the, you know, the Gibbs backhand on the back of the head. Wow. You know, I've been, I've been making this. I'm like 15 hours into the stand audiobook. <laughs> and uh, lots of things uh, I want to mention. Fantastic, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the miniseries, like, doesn't capture any of the characters. No, it, it was like we talked about a little bit the other day. It, it seems like they went the polar opposite with most of the characters. Yeah, because you got the um, mentally handicapped guy, and in the book he's like a little scrawny guy. He, he, yeah, but in the movie he's like a giant. <laughs> they get the big burly guy for him. Yep. Yeah, I don't get it. And then and, uh, Stuart Redman, who's this tall, rangy guy. They get a little swarthy guy to play him. Yeah, it's weird. Well, I think when you're five foot six, they kick you out of Texas. So I, I can't I buy that he's from Texas at all. Yeah, because they say everything bigger comes from Texas. That's right. If you hit 17 years old, there's a bylaw, I think, that they, they remove you. You get transported to, like, Louisiana. Right. I, I I have to revisit this sometime because I remember not digging it. I probably still won't dig it. But I'll, after I finish a book, I'm going to have to rewatch the thing. But uh, the only guy I remember liking in the uh, miniseries was um, was Max Headroom as uh, oh as the trash, trash can man. man. Yep. And I, I thought um oh what's his name uh like Flag's right hand man there Lloyd. I thought Lloyd was pretty good in the. In yeah, the I don't remember him. Miniseries, but Randall Flag is the is just the the shits in the miniseries. <laughs> oh yeah, yep. He looks like a total asshole. <laughs> yeah, he he looks like somebody that should have I don't know, like a roadie for an eighties like heavy metal band or something like. Yeah, just some Get cool them. bag. Look, I mean. I'm, Nothing against the actor. I think he's just totally miscast because right. you don't see like this pudgy dude with a with a uh, with a mullet. Like when you're reading the book, he's like the embodiment of evil, and they got this total goofball playing him. Yeah, and I think he's got doesn't he have like the jet black hair and everything? Or maybe yeah, he's, that's well, he's just the rights and drawings of him. But I always you know remember Bernie Wrightson's drawings in the book and like. He always was a very dark-haired guy. Well, it's mentioned all sinister. the time. He's the yeah. It's mentioned all the time. He's the dark man, like right, he came right. as, like. But then in the so in the book, he's great. He's awesome. And the and the thing, he's like real lame. And then like to to in case you don't, in case you just can't get it that he's like the embodiment of evil. <laughs> like in the miniseries, he like literally turns his face to keeps turning to the devil. And it's like, okay, guys, yeah. like come on. Yeah, we're gonna pound it down your throat in case you don't get it. Yeah. And like we had said before, like they couldn't even get the dog right. I think Kojak in the book is any like a German shepherd. So yeah, and I, I, I think that. yeah. They they turned him into like a 
I forget what the hell he is in the movie. I think he's like a like a golden lab or something. Like, really, is it that hard to find like a German Shepherd? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking now at the yeah the Randall Flag Bernie Wrightson ones are way cooler. Yeah, doesn't he look so sinister? He just looks yeah. awesome. Where 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 are these from? These Bernie Wrightson stand pictures are they just in the book? Um, in in the old book, yeah, he did like. Oh, God, and the trash can man looks a lot like the Max Headroom guy in the in the, uh, in the the miniseries. Mm-hmm. And especially, there's one where, um, you know, when he's got the, the bomb and his hair's all falling out and shit, and I think his eye falls out, right. and writes and does like this just awesome illustration. It's, they're, they're all the black and white, you know, pen and inks, and they're, they're all so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't know if he does one of the kid who who might be like my favorite, just kind of secondary character in the book. He's just awesome. Mm-hmm. So they did a stand comic book too, huh? I, I I've never read it. I think I might even have a couple of copies and just never just forgot about them. Huh. I should go and check those out. Find. I bet they'd be interesting. Yeah, I'd like to read these. I bet Maybe they're I Randy can find Flag the school. Yeah, he's got to look better than this asshole. This fucking dude. <laughs> I'm sorry to offend that because I didn't realize that the Stan miniseries had this big following that love it. But, oh, really? Yeah. I think it's just because the story's so good and you can't, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, and I, I, I hate to, like, you know, offend people that love it, but. It's it's kind of like the Sam Raimi Spider Man. There's so much like life to the character that that awful movie couldn't kill him. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> even though it's a shit movie, like they couldn't kill him. Yeah. Like that story's so good that even though they did a pretty like half-ass job, that uh, that I think maybe that's what people remember about the Stand. Yeah. How many issues did this run, the Stand comic? I don't know. Was, was it? It was a Marvel one, right? Yeah. Oh, well, quite a while, I guess, from 2008 to 2012. Holy shit. Well, I mean, the book is so long that I guess I could keep cranking out the comics. Yeah. Oh, it's only six issues. Oh, no. No, I'm sorry. There's, those are the different arcs. So it's like 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 31, uh, epi- uh, 31 issues. Comics? Oh, okay. Yeah. I bet they haven't collected like in you know graphic novel form. Yeah, I bet. So now I have to look this out to try to find it. I know they did that with um the gunslinger too, Neil. They um they have like a lot of the Roland stories, you know, the Dark Tower, uh, mm-hmm. like that. I think they were making those for a while. Oh, okay. Staying. All right, I'll look. I'll look into it after. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see it's on Amazon. Oh, okay, good, good stuff. Cool. Yeah, I'll get these at some point. Very cool. Anyway, the stand, great, love it. I know it's very topical, but because well, yeah, the storyline, and then also, oh, no, it they, is. I guess. Aren't they going to turn that but... into uh, into uh, like a mini series or something now? Uh, I don't. I know they always talk about that. I hope so. I think they're going to make a movie, but I think it would. For me, I think it fits much better in a series like on HBO or yeah. you know AMC or something because the book is so long, and uh, like I think you could easily get 
two or three seasons anyway. I think you could probably even get four seasons, but you could easily get two or three seasons just out of the uh, the book. Oh yeah, easily. And then you know the unabridged one, the 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 one that's like what like fifteen hundred pages. Yeah, you probably get like five seasons. You know. Mm-hmm. I agree. So uh, it'd be hard to cut it down. I think. Yeah. Yep. No, that would that would be tremendous. I would love that. And then I also heard, and it was so funny because we were just talking about this the other week when we uh, when we were talking about uh, next month being Sword and Sorcery Month, right? And I had brought up Michael Moorcock and and his uh, his character Elric. Mm-hmm. I guess whoever had the rights to it before, and they never ended up doing a movie version of it. Um, it finally came to an end, like uh, in at the the end of 2019. Like the rights then became like up for grabs again, or or they went back to Moorcock, and so yeah. now he's looking into, or um, I guess people are making him offers for uh, doing the character, and like it, it's this great epic sword and sorcery thing, like. It goes throughout like multiple books, and it would be something I would love to see. Like uh, if HBO did it and gave it like the the Game of Thrones treatment, because right. there's dragons and there's wizards and there's ancient evil gods and stuff. It's just great stuff. Oh, sweet! Yeah, very cool, very cool. So uh, I do want to mention uh, tomorrow. There's going to be <laughs> well Friday. If you listen to this podcast, it'll be today. There'll be another. Um, interview popping up on on the website and that'll be with isa lopez the director of tigers are not afraid oh nice i really really like that movie a ton i did too it's awesome yeah so uh she we're going to talk about that because that's coming out on uh blu-ray the uh the actual physical sweet oh good 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 and um next week here on without your head live we'll be joined by james balsamo the return of james balsamo Nice. Very, very entertaining and interesting cat. He is. And we're talking about Catch of the Day 2, his new film. And also joining us next week, it will be, uh, I'm going to have to record sometime during the week, but J.J. Villard, who is a uh, a crazy illustrator, cartoonist, and uh, his new show is coming to Adult Swim, J.J. Villard's Fairy Tales. And that's uh, the old grim fairy tales of the horror twist. And a whole bunch of horror icons are the voices. I'm lo- very much looking forward to this. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Wait, when does that debut, Neil? In uh, early May. Early May? So awesome. not, not very far from now. But yeah, he'll be on the show next week. Very good. Looking forward to that. And I may or may not be able, I may or may not have advanced uh, episodes that we can watch in in theater. I'll have to see when we can review them or whatnot, but we can watch. So I think this will be something right up your alley. Oh, definitely. Most most assuredly. Yeah. Uh, So get a a bunch of new stuff coming to Shudder in May. Oh, hit me. Of course, uh, The Last Drive-In Season 2 with Joe Bob Briggs every Friday night. So that's very exciting. I think uh, I love Shutter because you mm-hmm. get a good mix of uh, of old gems, of a lot of um, international stuff. I don't think you'd see otherwise, 
and a lot of great independent films that I, that I used to see at the festivals. I can't right now, but so you get a good you get a good range of stuff. All right, and I think it's worth the five bucks a month just oh, to watch Joe Bob Briggs. It is, it is, and you'll always find something interesting on there. Like, you know, even after you think you've seen everything on there, and then you give it another look, see, and you're like, "Whoa, how did I miss this one?" Yeah. So let's see. Uh, premiering Thursday, May seventh, is the series Z. Oh, good, good, good. A uh, couple is shaken to the core when their eight-year-old son begins hanging out with a creepy and ominous imaginary friend. Ooh. That sounds fun. Mm-hmm. May 14th is uh, the premiere of Monstrum. Oh. It's the 16th century. The plague has taken over and fear runs rampant in the streets. But rumors of a vicious beast roaming Mount in in Wogson called Monstrum by terrified masses begin to spread. Fear turns into panic. In order to quell the rising panic, King Zhang Zhong brings his most trusted general, Jun Ying, back from retirement. Oh. That sounds pretty cool. That sounds right up my alley, dude. Yes. Starring Wu Sik Choi from Parasite and Train to Busan. No way. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, I'm, I'm all excited then. Yeah. Very good. Blood Machines is premiering Thursday, May 21st. And that was the winner of Best Music, Best Sound Design, and Best CG Effects at the Toronto After Dark Film Festival. Oh, very good. Two space hunters are tracking down a machine trying to free itself. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. And these are for the uh, Shutter exclusive and uh, premiering Thursday, May 28th is confessional. After two mysterious deaths at a college the same night, seven students are blackmailed into revealing what they know inside a hidden confession booth. Mm. But I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by all of these, Neil. Yes. So other movies coming. We have uh, Angst. Uh, and the Masked Rise of Leslie Vernon, who we uh, just interviewed, uh, Nathan Basil, oh, nice. last couple of months yep. ago, I believe. Satan's Slave. I'm not sure about that one. Ooh. Uh, let's see. The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward. Mm. An unfaithful diplomat's wife finds herself hunted by a razor-wielding sex maniac. Well, simultaneously oh. haunted by her own depraved desires. Now, that sounds good. Yeah, I'm down with that. See, Crave. Aiden craves a meaningful life where he can escape the hard streets of Detroit, fall in love with the perfect woman, and save the world from evil. That's got Ron Perlman in it. Nice. Uh, the Dybbuk. The 1960 mm. television adaptation from Sholem Angsty's play about a woman possessed by a demon of mythical Jewish folklore. Interesting. Oh. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dario Argento's Tenebre, which I've actually never seen. I, I gotta be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of it. I think it's okay. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. 
Devil's Mile. Uh, a gang of ex-convicts take a dangerous and ill-advised detour after brutally kidnapping two girls. Hmm. Parasomnia. Unable to wake due to a rare sleep disorder, Laura resides in a psychiatric hospital. When a manipulative serial killer begins to take a sinister interest, a student attempts to save the sleeping beauty from falling into the murderous clutches. Mm. That's going to get Jeffrey Combs, so that's cool. Oh, no way. Awesome. I, I'm definitely down with the Jeffrey Combs. Exactly. Hellraiser and Hellbound Hellraiser 2. Okay. Good Night, Mommy, which I was a big fan of. I like that one a ton, too. Yep. The director's on the show. I Know What You Did Last Summer. I'm sure everyone knows that movie. Yep. The Dirties. I don't know this one. Um, two best friends are filming a comedy about getting revenge on the bullies at their high school. One of them isn't joking. Mm. Interesting. Ah, yeah. very exciting. May 25th, Turbo Kid. Oh, very good. Love that We've movie. Had, yes, we had Monroe Chambers on. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. And Michael, and Michael Ironside. Ironside. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. It was very just exciting. great, that, that movie. He's just so good. Oh, it. yeah. yeah. I love that movie. Yep. I know they've been wanting to do a sequel for a long time. Hopefully it gets... Uh, it I hope so. I really do. Yeah. All right. Training Elsa going on in the world of horror. Hmm. The world of Troy. <laughs> Not that I can think of. I um. I no. I trying to think. I'm, I'm sure there's been a couple of strange movies that. Th- this is one of those things like um, during you know the the end of the world as we know it. Mm-hmm. That uh, I feel fine. I've watched some of the some strange things that are not usually in my wheelhouse you know so I've caught a few things on Netflix and Shudder and and Amazon Prime that I probably wouldn't normally watch Mm -hmm. Um, I did catch up on uh, oh Kingdom which which I love I can't recommend it highly enough I'm halfway through the first season and there's two seasons on Netflix so okay. if you want a good Korean like uh, period horror, so think of like maybe a little Game of Thrones with some. Uh, well, no Game of Thrones had zombies, didn't it? Yes, but the the Korean zombies seem to besides like Train to Busan, a lot of their like more um, you know hundreds of years ago uh, movies and shows. It seems like their their zombies are quick moving zombies, but they don't like sunlight. So they got a little bit of a vampire vibe, but not an evolved vampire. Like maybe more like I am legend kind of vampire. Mm-hmm. So like when the sun comes up, the sun doesn't destroy them, but it sends them into like hibernation. They hide out and they find a dark place and sleep. Until the sun goes mm. down, and then they come back out and just wreck people. Mm. And uh, check that out. It's good, Neil. I think you'd really like it. Like the story's real good, and mm. uh, unlike my other one, my other one, I, I don't think you would really dig. It's more, 
fantasy with a lot of beautiful young people in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think it's something you dig as much. Like once we got hooked on it, though, we're like fifty episodes in, mm-hmm. um, and that was the Untamed. Uh, but uh, Kingdom is something I think you would dig. It's very dark and pretty disturbing, and the the undead in it they wreck people. Mm-hmm. Very good. Oh, we got a couple questions here. Eric Nix, he wants to know just how many Eric so Nix. and niece. Yep. Just how many so and so returns to their hometown and must confront a forgotten dark secret from the past? Horror movies are there on Netflix? Oh, I, I think that's kind of a universal like theme, though, of like <laughs> storytelling. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's kind of like if it's not a revenge story, that's like you know another archetype that you always run into, right? That you know. Uh, oh, I yeah. also wanted to mention this to go on. Sorry, oh, I'm sorry. Was uh, no, M- no. MVD shop um, had the Midnight Movie Society Spring Sale? They have huge sales. Uh, it's going now until April 27th. Um, uh, the unnameable. Oh, there's all kinds of movies. They range from like $3.99 to like $7.99. A lot of these, uh, a lot of movies we we talked about on the show, like the Velocipaster, the Blu-rays on. Clearance for five ninety nine. Oh, nice. Dark oh, Knight sweet. of the Scarecrow. So there's a lot of new stuff and uh, and old stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Purgatory Road with our friend Trista Robinson. You can get that for eight bucks. Oh, very good. There's tons of stuff though. So I, I mean, I can't go over everything here, but all kinds of uh, cool stuff. Let me go through these, some of these. So you quick. can add to your video collection in a hurry. There. Yeah. Exactly. The Song of Solomon, which I was a big fan of. That's only $8. Children shouldn't play with dead things, which I've never seen, but I've always I've heard always a lot of I've always wanted to see that one, yeah. Yep. Uh, it's only $10. I think that's oh, fairly rare. Now's the time rare. to get it, then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Hanukkah's on here. Oh, very uh, good. A bunch of people from Hanukkah on the show. Clownado, that's only $4. Nice. Lots of stuff. Stuff I'm, uh, you know, not mentioning this because I don't know it, mm-hmm. but it could be very cool. Uh, da, 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 da. So definitely Secret Santa. Yes, I don't know what this is, but I like uh, horror movies take place in Christmas. Oh, I love them. Secret uh, Santa. What the hell is this? Amityville Island. Is this about like a possessed shark? Because they show a shark <laughs> with like demon eyes. God, I hope so. That sounds tremendous. That one's only four bucks. That might be worth. There was bucks. Ghost Shark. That one. That That's one was true. Was different. Yeah. Uh, American Mummies only two dollars. We had the director of it on the show. Mm-hmm. Two bucks. Some of these are only two dollars. Wow. So some of them are two bucks. That's awesome. Yeah, you can't beat these. Dick Shark. That's that's less than a cup of coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. Mm-hmm. Here's a here's a one you can get all three of these movies for four dollars. The Shark Attack three pack, Sharkenstein, well Sharkenstein. <laughs> oh man, Raiders of the Lost Shark, nice. And Shark Exorcist. I think I've seen the Shark Exorcist. Man, Bone Hill Road. It's a cool werewolf movie. That's only four dollars. Nice. 
something called Weed Wolf. Oh. Santo and El Tessero de Dracula. So I believe it's uh, El Santo versus Dracula. That's oh, sweet. Old... How yeah, could you go wrong thing. with that? Yeah. Bad CGI sharks. I love nice. it. Five yep. bucks. Great guest on the show, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Cannibal Cop. I don't know that one, but oh. I kind of like the. Uh, I like the name anyway. Yeah, White Zombie. Like the old Bella Lugosi? Wow. Yep. You get that on Blu-ray for 10 bucks. It's pretty sweet. Bigfoot versus the zombies. Nice. Oh, you're down with that. You you love a good Bigfoot. Uh, Santa Claus Serial Rapist. Now that's wow, a, that's that's a turn I didn't expect. No, oh, that's a that's a weird ass movie. I've not seen that one. <laughs> Sex Squatch, The Legend of Bloodstool Creek. <laughs> I, I have to read about this one. I, I think we're like blending our uh, our genres now. Yeah. Joey Jeremiah's friend. Friends, I'm sorry. Joey Jeremiah's friends have gathered near Bloodstool Creek for a party weekend to throw their amb- ambitious friend a get laid party. Teens, woods, beer, sex. What could possibly go wrong? Well, the wooded wow. area that place hosts to their good times houses a sinister beast. He's bloodthirsty, intelligent, eloquent, covered in hair, and horny as hell. It's Sex Squatch. Nice. What the fuck? Did Al write this one? Is is this his movie? <laughs> is he the screenwriter on this one? Here's Santa Claus serial rapist. Santa is not the benevolent <laughs> character. Is dark a dark being who, in the tradition of the gods, mingles with mortal women as he pleases. I actually like the write up of that one. I do too. And has me interested. Bigfoot the movie. Not a Bigfoot stuff. Jesus, the total douchebag. Wow. All right. (laughs) This is probably not a website you want to go to if you're easily offended or something. Jesus, the total douchebag. Man, I don't know about that one. Um, But there's a lot of, like, good movies. I'm not saying that that's a bad movie. (laughs) Right, right. It might be. Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. Nice. That's good. A lot of the American guinea pig movies are up here. A lot of Jesus Christ movies. Here's a nice see a theme here. Jesus Christ serial rapist. <laughs> They're just a dude like let's make everyone so, rapist. This is yeah, this is gonna be uh, Abbott and Costello serial rapists, you know, like just throw them out there. Uh, Soft Matter, that's a that's a really good movie too. We had the director on a few years ago. Oh yep, uh, yep. But I, I that's one I actually do recommend. Uh, not that I don't recommend these other ones. I just have not seen them, so I don't know. Okay, it could be serial. There's a lot of weird rapist movies. Uh, I don't know. I'm not necessarily a fan of rapist movies. I know that's just weird. But. I didn't know that was its own like thing, you know? 
No, no, I, well, I say I'm not a fan. I don't know. I'm not really set down and watching. <laughs> Maybe a guy in Madison. But uh, Danger God, that was a great uh, documentary. It's about the the actual guy that the um, uh, um, the character in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is about. Oh, okay. Stunt man on the show. He's yep. a great, I guess. Oh my God! There's 45 pages of these. So I, I can't go through all of them. Good but. Lord! So you got a lot of goodies there to yeah. choose from. Model Hunger, very good movie. Uh, Lynn Lowry in it. A lot of clown movies. A lot of Bigfoot movies. A lot of rapist movies. <laughs> Octoman. That looks pretty awesome. Is that Just about like, like an octopus man? Scientific expedition to a remote Mexican fishing community discovers unhealthy amounts of radioactive waters. What they find is a seven-foot-tall mutant species of octopus with amazing strength and a lust for killing. And soon the expedition realizes that the monster is now on a bloody rampage. Now that's the fly. Wow. Oh, yeah, they even have like Laurel and Hardy movies. So it's like get your <laughs> rapist movies and buy Laurel and uh, Hardy. <laughs> is it is it Laurel and Hardy serial rapist? <laughs> it's, 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 I was it's I was little throwing Abbott and Costello in there. I apologize. Yeah, very little known version of, uh, but no, it's uh, Abbott, <laughs> Laurel and Hardy, the Flying Deuces. Nice. I love that. Actually, I really do. Dark Star. That's a old Dark movie. Star. I haven't seen that one in years. Yeah. Remember, I think we went to see that at the drive-in when I was a kid. I think, yeah, we did. We did. It's a very slow-moving movie, especially when you're a kid. Right. That's that's a tough one to wait around for something to happen in. Driller Killer. Oh, I, th- I thought you were making up some more porn names there. No, no, no. Driller Killer. I I, I'm gonna, not a fan. Driller Killer and Twin Cheeks or something like that. Right? Twin Cheeks. That's a good, that's a good <laughs> name. But anyway, there's a ton of movies. I can't sit here and go through all of them, even though I'd like to. The Velvet Vampire. Nice. like the name. I, I will definitely have to give it a look, though, because you never know. Like, there's probably that movie that you haven't seen in years and like, man, I wish I could get a copy of that. And yeah. There's a lot of on there. movies. Yeah. They're old movies, newer movies, but a lot of obscure stuff. That's uh, hard to get. And very, very, a lot of this is very cheap. Yeah. Well, e- even the most expensive ones were what, like 10 bucks or 10 something. Bucks, yeah. 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 I think that, I think the most, yeah, I think that's the most expensive I've seen. Nice. So go check that out. MVD shop. We'll do. do it. I will do that. I will do that right after the show, in fact. Children's Heroes of the Bible. So you can get <laughs> Jesus Christ serial rapist and then also get children here. But don't mix those up. Don't be showing no, your kids. No. Oh, I'm show Johnny all about the Bible. Oh, shit. <laughs> if you order them both. Yep, make sure you check the mail Which before, I'm sure before there's it a gets lot of, to. I'm sure it's a big crossover audience. <laughs> Who the hell well, is going know, to the Grandpa might, might be looking at one while, you know, you're looking yes. at another one. Whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So if you're on that website wanting to buy the Bible Heroes for for Kids, 
And you start looking at these other movies. <laughs> Wouldn't you just leave the site? Would you yeah, want to give us business? That might weird me out a little bit. Maybe they get some really diverse clientele there. Yes. Maybe you buy the, like, I feel bad buying the all these, the whole serial rapist, you know, franchise. Yeah. There I'm going to buy you this one. Cleanse yourself a little right. bit. Like, I feel a little unclean after this. Right. All right. Now, all these people that claim to like, oh, I like all movies. And my tastes are very diverse. All right. To get both of those, do a double feature and then come back and tell us how that was. Do it up. You listening, Mitten? Do it up. <laughs> that, that would be my drive in double feature right there. Sam Haynes, are there far too many horror new movies using cheap digital effects now? It looks like crap. Well, yeah, I think he answered his own question. Yeah, I do think, though, there's been a return to a lot of um, practical effects, which I enjoy. There aren't, but sometimes, and I got to say, and I know you have said in the past that even like a bad practical effect Yes. There's still some charm to it. Yes. Well, in I, I, I think it must be like episode 10, give or take, of uh, the other Korean show that we've been watching, the, the Untamed. They lock one guy in a cell with this giant wolf mm. who looks like something you'd buy from... Uh, Toys R Us. It was the saddest looking thing I had ever seen. And it just took me out of it completely as he's standing there with I would have rather had like a really poorly done CGI giant wolf really? than a Man. big stuffed animal uh, giant wolf. Uh, well, you say that, but what, I, you'd have to see him side by side to really, to really say yeah. that. I don't know if, if you saw this I would critter. Still yeah. prefer- well, it could yeah. be bad, but I probably still would rather see that than a CG wolf. Yeah, but I think the CG wolf might have been at least like a little bit like creepy looking. This thing was just goofy looking. I don't know, but they're both poorly done. I'm thinking the poorly done stuffed wolf is going to look better than a poorly done CG wolf. Well, at least it was some effort that went into it. I mean, somebody actually made this thing. Right. You know, you can see the the wire like open its mouth and stuff, and the tongue <laughs> rolling out. It's a big piece of leather. But kind of, what kind of bullshit are you watching? I know, I know. Uh, Robert Budzinski, do zombies poop? Hmm. I asked this on Facebook a couple weeks ago because I'm I've been wondering this. So they're always hungry. Yep. So what happens when they eat? So eat, there's two things they either have. So they either don't digest, but then if they don't digest, they just have all this undigested meat in them. And then they, they would just, either their stomach sort of eventually just rip open and the meat would fall out, or they just get weighed down by all the meat. In them. Or they do digest it, and either they get really fat, uh, and, and again, they can't move, or they're just shitting themselves all the time. Yeah, I think it would just kind of like roll out of them. Like, I don't think it would be digested. Mm-hmm. I think like I think they'd burst actually. Yeah, so, so that's like what they'd I just eat do, so like, much and like yeah, pop and open, and then just the stuff would fall out. I want to do think. a movie where it's like 
so it's kind of like a tw- so you know 28 days later 28 months later we'll do t- 28 months later and so now all the zombies are just big fat asses because they're eating all the time <laughs> oh okay all right so in your movie version you're you're going with the uh Right, or the, the or or the they digest. just get weighed down, or they don't die, and they just oh okay, then they yeah. just can't move. They're like, oh, just sitting there with all <laughs> those dead bodies. In them. So after either way, I think after a while that they're gonna they're gonna do themselves in. Mm-hmm. I know it's not a brain shot. Are all? Uh, look, but I think they'd still a, keep coming if they even if they like pop. This blew up, I guess. Yeah, they'd be harder think. to walk around. That's true. They'd be, yeah, they'd be a lot slower then. See, my my own opinion, like my own uh, thoughts on zombies, just like I think, like it, it's not necessarily even the meat. Um, I would say it's the blood from the meat. That, that's why it's got to be fresh. And that kind of keeps them moist, and they they keep going. I would say like a fresher zombie, like if you just turned, you'd be a lot quicker, a lot stronger than like a zombie that's been sitting around for weeks or months or years and was all dry and kind of crumbly. So I think like eating the the people, in my version of zombies... It would be to keep like all their tissues like damp and wet and like function more like an oil than uh, than like a sustenance. That's that's how I feel anyway. That's that's my take. All right, all right, do it up. What makes do you sense. think on that one? All right, makes sense. Big fat ass zombies. <laughs> all right troy i think that's pretty good i think we answered all their questions i think we did i think we did pretty well on that i think uh yeah yeah so we'll be back here next week same headless time same headless channel and what what time is Saturday's? Uh, oh yeah, this uh, Saturday. Body severed, parts. severed limbs film festival watch party. You go to without your head over on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash group slash without your head horror. Seven thirty. We'll start with. Uh, there'll be a half hour of trailers, so everyone get in, settle down, watch some cool trailers, and then right at eight. Right at eight, the horror shorts will commence. Nice. So be there at seven thirty and get ready. Exactly. exactly. All right, I'm digging it. Yes. All so right. I'm looking forward to that. I'll see everybody then. Yes. See you then. Until next time, the balcony is closed. Ooh. Gonna steal it, steal it. They're not used anymore. (laughs) That's true. I think, uh, I think you're safe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, this is Nasty Neil, and this is Terrible Troy, and this is without your.
head. Side for homicide. 